Hey everybody. Welcome to My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast. My name is Patrick. I'm the host of this podcast. Happy hump day. And thanks for listening. Got a lot to talk about today. Uh, here we're December 20th, just uh, a few days away from Christmas and all a lot of holiday festivities for a lot of folks coming up. And plenty to talk about as a Packer fan, that's for sure. So we'll start running through some things here. Remember, there's a website, mycheeseheadlife.com. You can email the show, info at mycheeseheadlife.com. My handle on X is at mycheeseheadpod. And uh, Insta is mycheeseheadinsta. So, yeah, once again, thanks thanks for listening. pretty excited to be here on another hump day with you to, to talk all things uh, Packer fan related in Wisconsin, some Wisconsin sports stuff. Uh, usually have a few oddball items for you. And um, like I say, usually <clears throat> I like to have a, some non-sports related uh, items to talk about here before we dive into all the sports stuff. Um, so remember to like, follow, share with friends and family. Appreciate all that. And um, for example... I thought to get started here today, a couple things. Uh, we'll, we'll circle back on last week's poll, and I'm excited uh, to indicate it looks like we have a new record in terms of uh, total responses. And I didn't respond, I don't think, on this one. So this is like, you know, truly organic responses. I'm not uh, padding the vote total with my own uh, vote here. Uh, so last week, last hump day, I had mentioned how there's all these national, you know, days like National Donut Day, National, you know, Coffee Dog, you know, Kid Day, all those things. Um, And I'd asked, uh, do you like all the national yada, yada, yada days? Yeah or no? And uh, a little closer uh, than some of our previous polls, this one, this one went to the or no's uh, in a a grand total of five votes uh, exceeding our previous record of four. So thanks very much to those five folks who voted. And uh, the or no's have it three to two as far as uh, being a fan of all those national yada, yada days. I mean, I don't really care personally that they're on the calendar but then it kind of gets pushed, you know, you just see it in your social media, you see it, you know, oh, hey, I'm doing this for, you know, and it's kind of like, great, you know. Um, so to me, that's that's more where it comes from. But uh, there's the the results on that poll from last week. Thanks again uh, for the five votes. And, um, you know, just with kind of a, well, with, if if you're listening to me, you're, you're definitely probably aware of what happened in the Packers on Sunday versus Tampa Bay. So, with that in mind, I thought we could start today with uh, uh, one of the on-ball items being another installment from Esquire's Things a Man Should Never Do Past 30, a uh, book by David Katz. Actually, um, if you, if uh, reminder that I'm sorry that I have a blog out there uh, called Cheese Curds on the website, and there will be a summary of the, the topics, and same with like on the Spotify uh, site or app, whatever. And I have links to a lot of these things that I'll talk about if you want to see it for yourself. And so I did find a link to this old book that I was given on Amazon. So in case you, I'm not expecting anyone to buy it. I'm just saying in case you want to get your eyeballs on what I'm reading out here. Um, so uh, again, if you're not familiar, every once in a while, I'll flip to uh, whatever random page in this book I've never read. Things a man should never do past 30 and share the results with you here today. So this comes to us from page 72. There's four items on here. Uh, the first one is tie a bandana around his wrist. Uh, that I would agree with. Probably uh, fair to stop doing that. I don't know if that was like an 80s thing. I'm not sure if people have done that for a while. Uh, another one on here. Combine bubblegum flavors. 
I mean, I, I've never really done that. Maybe some people out there have. Um, so there you go. And then uh, shave superhero logos into his scalp. Um, I guess so. I mean, but still, I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. Why not, right? Um, and then lastly, raise hermit crabs. So if you're over 30, apparently, according to David Katz and Esquire, you shouldn't be raising hermit crabs. So there you go. Another installment from things a man should never do past 30. We'll get rid of that. And um, one other item I wanted to uh, throw out there real quick, uh, just as a heads up, in case uh, you don't last the whole duration here, I do want to mention, uh, excited on Saturday, I'm expected to have uh, our, our friends uh, Phil, Philippe and Eric joining me again. Uh, we, we had gotten it on the calendar to do a, another session on the 23rd, Saturday. Uh, we'll, we'll try to get an upload going for you, assuming there's no uh, disruptions to that plan. And uh, not not a ton of sports talk, probably. Uh, we were talking; it might be kind of fun to talk a little bit of like holiday traditions. If you if you hadn't caught the the last installment, Philippe uh, is in France. He's officially European, born raised, and then Eric has lived overseas, but uh, he's originally from Minnesota. Lives in I think Arizona now. So uh, guys, I've known for well, give or take 20 years and uh, fun to talk to. And they're going to join me again on Saturday. And we're going to talk some holiday traditions and, and maybe some differences uh, fr that they've experienced or where they live. And then also we're going to talk some cover songs, which I think kind of ties in nicely because uh, all that holiday music is like the, the capital of cover songs, right? You know, so many of those songs, Jingle Bells and whatever have been done, you know, by so many different artists that uh, seem like good timing for us to have a little discussion around cover songs. So if you have cover songs, anything you want us to kind of take a peek at or talk about and you want to uh, have that as part of our, our episode Saturday, feel free to email me info at my cheeseheadlife.com. You maybe put a subject in there of cover songs and uh, we'll see if any of those might overlap. If you want to send uh, your thoughts on a couple cover songs or a couple that you like. And uh, see if any of those overlap with some of the songs that uh, Philippe, Eric, and I will be talking about. Um, so looking forward to that Saturday. Again, if you're into it, uh, probably won't be super heavy on sports. And we'll talk a bit holiday traditions with uh, my friends Philippe and Eric. And I think in a uh, modest effort to you know, somewhat delay uh, having to get into that ugly Packer game from Sunday versus the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, uh, one thing I want to talk about here on this uh, episode, because we're just right around the corner, literally about 27 hours-ish from when I sit here right now, uh, to the winter solstice. Um, I don't know about you, but that is like a really big deal for me. Uh, as uh, Once I learned about like this is the time of year where you get down to like your shortest day uh, sunlight-wise, um, and even this comes from, I think my grandpa would mention this kind of stuff, and then my dad and uh, between, you know, multiple generations, you know, when you live in Northeast Wisconsin, the winters are long. That's no secret. And for myself and maybe plenty of other folks, it helps to have these little like milestones of, you know, what you can look forward to. And for me, uh, winter solstice is a big deal because even though we're still technically in fall, uh, boy, the weather sure can feel like winter here in Northeast Wisconsin on any given day. I'll admit it's been pretty mild uh, this year, but we're, you know, the 20th of December, it's technically, you know, not even winter yet. And when I was a kid, we always had tons of snow. There's, there can be plenty of very cold days and, and you're losing that daylight, uh, really, really significantly once you get into November and December. And so with that darkness and the colder temps, uh, I don't care if it's fall or whatever on the calendar, technically, um, to me, it feels very much like winter time. So 
a little context there for when us folks here in Northwest, Northeast Wisconsin or, you know, cheeseheads in general that live in Wisconsin talk about having a long winter. Uh, it's not necessarily that it's three months on the calendar. It's, it's more like five, six months, almost maybe mentally, you know, when you think about, like I said, winding down uh, November, December, losing that uh, daylight and the temperatures tend to drop quite a bit. Heck, we had snow for, uh, Halloween, you know, so we can even get some chilly temps and, and snowfall in, uh, in October. And so there you go. It can be a pretty long winter and uh, solstice being the first official day of winter. At least that's the way I describe it. Me, whether it is or not, I guess uh, I'm not an official expert. Um, but to me, it's a big day that I kind of look forward to kind of count down. Uh, and, and this is taking place now tomorrow. Uh, it's Thursday, December 21st. So with that in mind, I uh, scrubbed up an article here from the internet uh, about solstice and thought I'd go through that with you here today as uh, kind of our main oddball item before we get into the football talk. And this one comes from almanac.com and uh, Bob Berman. This was from November 22nd uh, and it says, how much daylight do we gain after the winter solstice? And then kind of a subheading here after the shortest day of the year, get ready for sunlight. Um, so he says, like I said, the, uh, winter solstice occurs on Thursday, December 21st at 1027 PM. Uh, yes, this is the quote unquote shortest day of the year, but let's talk about how many minutes each day the daylight increases afterwards. And he says, plus we'll discuss other ways you can see and feel the solstice. Um, so, uh, what happens on the winter solstice? He says, here are the most tangible factors affecting your daily life. He said, your shadow will then extend to its longest length, which granted won't make or break your day. The real news, and these are just kind of bullet, uh, bullet items here. Uh, the, the next one is the real news is that we will then have the fewest minutes of daylight in 2023 on the solstice in December. Those of us in the Northern hemisphere, uh, that's us cheeseheads, by the way, have our shortest day and our longest night. And this was kind of interesting to me the way he puts it here because I thought like immediately then you know you start getting more daylight but he, the next bullet says starting Saturday which you know kind of 36 whatever 48 hours later Saturday December 23rd the days will start being longer and the Sunday and the sun I'm sorry the sun will be slightly higher up so you can look forward to that starting on Saturday and then uh, he goes on the next one we'll start feeling greater warmth on our skin too solar intensity depends on the sun's height but since the ground and the air take a while to catch up, we won't reach our coldest average temperature until the third week of January, a full month from now. Um, as for things you can easily observe, the most obvious celestial effect is that you can look out your most south. This is interesting. Try to figure out all these directions. Um, the most obvious celestial effect is that you can look out your most southwest facing window on Thursday and again Friday and see the sun set at its leftmost position of the year. If you're an early riser and see the sun come up at around 7.15 a.m., that will happen at its rightmost possible spot in the east-southeast. Um, next one, the matchup with our clocks. I thought this was interesting. The matchup with our clocks is less clear-cut. We already had our darkest afternoon on December 7th and will not suffer our darkest morning, meaning latest sunrise, until the first week of January. This is thanks to the lag between the day's variable lengths caused by our planet moving at different speeds in our orbit and the inflexible length of each clock's minutes and hours. 
All right, so next section here, how much does daylight increase? Um, and this is, to me, a good way to put it because this is definitely the, why I kind of earmark this day on the calendar. He says the psychologically optimistic part, and that's me checking in on this for the psychological optimism. Uh, of all this is that starting Friday, December 22nd, we will stop losing daily sunlight, which has been going on since June. And instead, finally to start increase it. Now, that's that's the flip side of this coin, right? Um, you know, once I learned about solstice and got excited about getting more daylight as a way to think winter maybe isn't so bad. You know, here it's, you know, awful in January, so cold. But hey, we're getting more daylight, you know, silver lining. But then when, you know, you put two and two together, it kind of puts a little sting on your summertime when once I realized too, then like he says here, uh, which has been going on since June. So whatever it is, June 21st, June 22nd. Um, you come to the realization that you, you already start losing, you know, the daylight, uh, early on, you know, as the first day of summer there. So as a kid, I never really thought about it that way, but you know, so a little flip side there that kind of puts a little, little bite out of your summer, uh, joy for me anyways, knowing we start losing daylight so early, uh, when the nice weather happens. But anyways, uh, this gain will be minuscule at first, just a matter of seconds a day, but will steadily grow until daylight expands. I'm sorry, daily daylight expands by three daily minutes per day in March. That's weird. Three minutes. I mean, that's a fair amount of time. So the big gains, uh, seem to happen there in March. The exact amount of brightness gain depends on your location. So he's got a couple examples here. He says, during my annual Aurora Odyssey in Alaska, which has brought me there each winter for the past 30 years, we've noticed the March daylight expansion to be an amazing seven minutes per day. That adds up to almost a full hour of extra daily sunshine each week and every week. It's so abrupt that it jarringly alters sleeping patterns, party times, taking afternoon strolls instead of skipping them, and so on. But in the next one now, he goes, uh, but in most of the lower 48... (laughs) states the extra daily sunshine in March is closer to 20 minutes after each week. The most, the majority of us ever experienced like a slowly opened gift package. Then he goes on, let's take a more relatable location in the Midwest, Chicago. If you look at the Almanac's daylight tool for Chicago, there are just nine hours, 11 minutes of daylight during the week leading up to Christmas. After this daylight increases to nine hours, 15 minutes by New Year's Day. So that's a four minute gain. Uh, by New Year's. By mid-January, the increase jumps to about two minutes a day. He says by the 20th of February, daylight speeds up to three minutes per day on the 20th day length. I'm sorry, I goofed that up. Got to pay attention to your commas and periods here, Patrick. Uh, On the 20th, comma, day length is 10 hours, 53 minutes, and on the 21st, it's 10 hours, 56 minutes. Um, and that kind of reminds me of, you know, going back to some of the family talk about this being handed down when I first got the gist of this. And then I would mention it to my dad. One thing he'd always say to me is like, yeah, your grandpa always used to say, well, and by February it's light till about five o'clock. And sure enough, that's right. You know? And so that's kind of always a bit of a milestone for me is, uh, knowing that by, you know, once you get to that first week of February, cause it's weird, right? When it's dark before 5 PM for, for, for us here, a lot of us in Northeast Wisconsin, that's kind of a, a marker there 5 p.m daylight or not and uh so yeah that was kind of interesting there to, to see how it breaks down on minutes per day again it was always just kind of that general idea of my grandpa saying well by february it's uh it's light out till 5 p.m uh so he goes back in, in may the increase slows back to two minutes gain per day 
and by the time we get to the summer solstice, the increase further slows to a minute a day, peaking at 15 hours and 16 minutes by the solstice. Uh, then kind of the last section here on this article right up, the night skies on the solstice. But to include other astronomy into all this, be aware that a radical planet change is also en route to us. Right now at the winter solstice, every planet is nicely visible while late spring will find them vanishing one by one. He says, so this winter solstice is really a time of major activity here in the old solar system. Uh, so there you go, a little write-up that I pretty much gave you word for word because I'm fascinated by the winter solstice, love it, looking forward to it, can't wait. And uh, that's taking place tomorrow night, and then we can start at least uh, here in Wisconsin and our fellow cheeseheads uh, enjoying a bit more daylight, a bit more warmth from the sun, even though it can be cold as, uh, well, let's just say it gets awfully, awfully cold sometimes. So, uh, But we can have more daylight. There you go, winter solstice 2023. So I was able to put off talking about that Packer game for about 17 minutes, it looks like. Nice work there, PT. Um, so we're going to go ahead here and, you know, queue up a little new audio that I think is, uh, you know, because we went from the winning streak and beating teams like, you know, Detroit and Kansas City, you know, to now we're losing back-to-back -back games to the Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I think, you know, we're definitely in more of a, you know, vibe where I think I needed... This is a more apt description of what, what's happening. I mean, I was at the game on Sunday at Lambeau Field, and I could really feel this vibe. What the hell's going on out here? Just like Vince did back in the day. And um, I, I went to the game. You know, always a, a great day, fun day to go to Lambeau and, and that whole thing. Uh, my buddy Chris joined me from the Milwaukee area. I think Chris uh, listens as well. So, hi, Chris. Thanks. And that was fun. Um, he even mentioned he might be willing to be a, a guest. We'll have to get that arranged. And, um, you know, so weather wise, it was a little bit of drizzle rain, you know, in the morning driving there and a little bit while we're sitting there. Otherwise that, that kind of ended and it turned out to be a pretty, pretty solid weather event day or whatever in uh, Lambeau for December, 35, 40 degrees, you know, not a ton of wind, uh, not a ton of precipitation. So all in all, pretty good conditions to go watch a game, you know, stayed nice and toasty warm. Um, and I, I had said to Chris a number of times, like, you know, cause you know, with the Packers up and down, the Buccaneers kind of up and down, you know, I, I went into that game with really, you know, pretty much like zero expectations. I didn't know what to expect, you know, as Baker Mayfield, um, Mike Evans, you know, I'm very much aware of the, the threats and talents they have, but at the same time, you know, they're six and seven Packers are six and seven, you know, Packers biggest uh, struggle has been against a run, you know, so can we hold up against a pass? Uh, all those things. I was really, I had, I had like no, no gut on this one. And um, so with zero expectations, I managed to still come away very, very disappointed. So thank you Packers for that. But uh, you know, one kind of good story before we get into the, the nitty gritty of what took place there Sunday is uh, this I found amazing. So every, every time you're at a game, if you go to a Packer game, you'll notice they'll have like a fan of the game. And, and for whatever reason, there's probably a little backstory as to why the Packers are recognizing a certain individual. And uh, this one just kind of blew me away because it just, it, and this is usually like later in the game when they do a countdown, you know, for a song that plays. And uh, this says here, uh, Packers fan Gary Platt attends his 500th game amid cancer treatments. Um, so I did a little bit of math on that and, um, cause I've been to, you know, a ton of games too. And I, I wish when I see this, I wish I would have kept better track because I mean, I don't think I'm anywhere near or will ever get near 500. 
Um, but I, I've always kind of guessed uh, the over-under is at least for me about 100 games. Um, but anyways, uh, uh, Mr. Platt here, uh, it says that uh, there are few Packer fans as loyal as Platt. The 74-year-old said he attended his first game in 1961. So he was 12 years old. Um, and I figured, you know, if you're doing, you know, eight games a year, which they don't always do back then, shorter seasons and stuff, who knows what, um, it had to be 60-some years. So, yeah, it says he was 12 years old. It was November 19th that day. It was called City Stadium, and now it's called Lambeau Field, Platt explained. Um, so, yeah, it said uh, he, he's pretty much been to just about every game. You know, since then, he's got a few examples of games that he's missed, and, and now, you know, he's dealing with some cancer and treatment. So amazing for him. Uh, he went to his first game 1961 and was attending his 500th game. Uh, so there you go. There's a little right up there. If you're looking for some, some good news, feel good stories coming out of Lambeau field besides what the Packers did. Um, but we do have to talk about what the Packers did. I got a lot of links here from different write-ups that I've looked at and, you know, some generic kind of scoreboard stat stuff. So again, looking at here. Um, but the thing that, you know, initially first really caught my eye uh, coming out of this game is when I saw the little nugget of information that said uh, Baker Mayfield and um, and his uh, four touchdown passes, whatever it was, his perfect passer rating uh, was the first time an opponent quarterback at Lambeau had a perfect passer rating. And I had uh, just about fell out of my chair when I read that. I mean, for a couple reasons. One, our defense has been, you know, pretty mid or bad for a long time. So it kind of surprised me that that hadn't happened yet. Um, and then two, when you realize it hadn't happened yet, how remarkable that is that Baker Mayfield and the six and seven Buccaneers were the first to achieve it after, you know, we just talked about Gary Platt going to 500 games at Lambeau. And there's maybe even been more games than that played there, right? Um, you know, so now. You know, uh, an all-time mark is set by Baker Mayfield, who's on his third team. And I kind of like Baker. I'm rooting for him. I'm not saying he's a bad, bad quarterback. It's more that look at some of the quarterbacks that have played at Lambeau. Um, and I've seen plenty of them firsthand. You know, the John Elways, I think Steve Young, Joe Montana's. You know, there's, a, I'm sure, a long list of uh, high, high uh, or Hall of Fame, high-performing quarterbacks that have, have managed to play at least one game at Lambeau Field. And none of them had a perfect passer rating, no matter how good, bad, or whatever the Packers were. You know, you think about the bad, you know, years of the 70s and 80s, I guess, you know, I don't know. Um, yeah, I would imagine they're including all those years when they talk about a record like this. So, yeah, uh, Baker Mayfield and the Buccaneers, uh, the first time ever an opponent quarterback, if you hadn't seen that yet, uh, had a perfect Packer uh, passer rating uh, at Lambeau Field. Um, so congratulations on that Packers. And, um, I guess he, you know, kind of set a nice mark there. Um, and, uh, oh, by the way, you know, eventually I'll try to get a couple pictures up. It was weird. Uh, I got an email after the game from the team saying, did you go to the Lambo? Uh, you know, find your picture there. Cause, um, so yeah, if, if you're misbehaving at Lambo, I would say heads up. Apparently they have cameras on everyone. Cause I got a link that allowed you to kind of scan around the whole stadium, like, you know, Google street view. And sure enough, I could zoom in on myself and Chris sitting there at Lambo. Um, so just a word to the wise, a little PSA Patrick service announcement. If you're sitting at Lambo and causing some mischief, they'll be able to zoom in on you on camera as well. 
So yeah, like I said, I got a lot of links, uh, just been kind of, you know, accumulating these links, hoarding them like a, like a squirrel burying nuts for winter. Um, and feel free to get out there and read some of this as much as you want. I'll probably just buzz through mostly the headlines and, and a couple thoughts here for you. And then we'll, we'll eventually get to like the other things happening in week 15, the power rankings, take a look at uh, the upcoming week as well. And then do our basketball Jones check-in, uh, on the, some of the, some of the basketball teams in Wisconsin here. Um, so one of the first write-ups I got here, uh, good, bad, and ugly coming out of the Packers 34-20 loss to the Bucks. This is uh, Zach Cruz. Uh, read some of his stuff or quite a bit of his stuff on Packers Wire from USA Today. Um, so, you know, quick little write-up. Things that I generally agree with. Uh, rookie pass catchers and uh, produce. And that was a huge day for, uh, you know, Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Tucker Craft. He says here, uh, and Malik Heath combined to catch 19 passes for 235 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, Jordan Love completed 79% of his passes, averaged almost 10 yards per per attempt, and had a passer rating of 135.2 when targeting the four rookies. Uh, all five of Love's completions of 20 or more yards uh, went to Wicks, Reed, and Kraft, and Heath caught a 15-yarder on first and 20. Um, so great job again. I mean, it's amazing. I kept saying it to Chris. I'm like, you know, how many times do you see like, hopefully maybe one rookie is decent on offense and can catch a few balls or, you know, make a few plays. And here, this is like the whole dang production for this team is rookies. So, you know, as frustrating as this defense has been, I'm very, very, and a lot of Packer fans encouraged and excited about what we're seeing on offense. Finally, after, you know, the first half of the season was pretty ugly for the offense and at least Seems like we flipped it now. The defense can't get it together. But anyways, um, so he says the bad here, red zone offense. The Packers scored a pair of touchdowns in the red zone, but one required a do-over via turnover after Jordan Love threw wide of Jaden Reed on fourth down. Yeah, I mean, I was there. I was kind of hoping they just kicked the field goal there. I mean, your first possession, you drive down the field. Oh, yeah, speaking of first possession, you know, this is a, a thing that frustrates me, and I've said it before. I hate the, de- the defer, especially when your defense kind of stinks. Um and, you know, Packers, of course, deferred. Bucks get the ball, go right down the field. I think they got the field goal in that first possession, so it's 3 nothing. and then Packers come back. You know, nice drive, and then, you know, they use like six minutes, and then they miss, or they don't go for the field goal, and they miss that fourth down conversion. You know, so that was a pretty empty feeling. They totally got bailed out by the defense getting that turnover. Otherwise, that would have been potentially another big topic coming out of this game is, you know, Matt LaFleur not just took looking to get, you know, some – satisfaction for his team and get them three points when they had a nice drive to start the game. He goes for it. Now they're sitting there three, nothing. And you know, uh, Buccaneers have the ball. And, uh, luckily, uh, we saw what they did the rest of the game, moving the ball and scoring points. Luckily our defense, uh, got a turnover there right away. But anyways, um, so, uh, the red zone struggles, he, he goes on again. I kind of got distracted there. Um, and the other touchdown needed an incredible throw from Love and an incredible catch from Jaden Reed on third and 14. Overall, the Packers scored just 20 points on five trips inside the 20. So, I mean, all that emphasis on the defense, and there's still, you know, there's a lot of work the offense could have done too. Um, the offense moved the ball consistently, but a turnover on downs and two short field goal attempts kept the Packers from keeping up with the Bucks in a shootout. After going four for 10, scoring touchdowns in the red zone the last two games, Green Bay's offense now ranks 23rd in the red zone at 50% touchdowns this season. 
And then the ugly, of course, you know, no shocker here. Joe Barry's pass defense, the obvious no-brainer pick. Barry's defense gave up 22 completions for 384 yards and four touchdowns to Baker Mayfield in one of the worst coverages performances in recent team history. I mean, I'll tell you guys, when I was sitting there watching it and I kept saying this, Chris probably won't go to a game with me again because I kept repeating things, but I'm like, there's nobody on these receivers. Like, And then the stats came out to support this just from the eyeball test. Uh, I think I saw somewhere they said, you know, all the rankings, whatever they do, analysis said there was only two official contested catches uh, in that game for the Buccaneers. And that's what I mean. You just sit there and watch in the stadium and you're just like, Every time you see that ball get thrown, okay, there's no one within a yard or two of the receiver. It was unbelievable. Never seen anything like that where we don't even have a guy like, you know, kind of running right with them and trying to swat the ball away or anything. I mean, it happened like once late in the game, Carrington Valentine was right on a receiver or someone and knocked the ball away. Only time it really happened, the whole doggone game. Unbelievable to see these guys just standing there and easy catches. It was just, you know, pitch and catch, as they say, all day long. I mean, just unbelievable. I, I've, I've been to a ton of Packer games, watched almost every doggone game they've played, whether it's TV or in person, for you know 40 years now, and uh, never really recall seeing anything like that. It was just amazing. And, and I mean, it's not really new this year. It was just like uh, Sunday was the most egregious example. We, we've seen this a lot this year where there's just not a lot of contest. I mean, the interceptions, we'll get to some stats, but, I mean, that backs it up. I think the Packers only have, like, six interceptions all year. It's because none of these guys are anywhere near the receivers. So whether that's coaching, scheme, or idiot players, I don't know. And it's not for me to answer, but I can just tell you it. it's not right. It certainly doesn't pass the eyeball test. And then, uh, so anyways, he says, uh, Baker Mayfield in one of the worst coverage performances in recent team history. If the defensive front didn't disrupt the play, the Packers' back seven got torched. It was consistently easy for Mayfield, who averaged, listen to this, 13.6 yards per attempt. So, like, anytime they called a passing play, they averaged almost 14 yards a play or attempt. And then 17.4 yards per completion. And then, like I was saying, and I was saying, telling Chris, I mean, Zach says it here, many of the completions were uncontested to wide-open receivers in soft spots and zone coverage. Terrified to play man coverage and terrified to get beat over the top, Barry let Mayfield slice and dice his way to a truly historic performance. And then this is where I, I think I might have first picked up that comment where uh, the perfect passer rating for the first time. Uh, so Zach, I mean, this was a few days ago. He says this should, you know, quote unquote, be the end of the line for Barry, but we know by now that LaFleur has announced he's sticking with Barry for the rest of the season. So at six and eight, there's still just not enough reason to try something different. Most historic passing performance at Lambeau ever with all these, you know, high draft picks and whatever guys in his third year. I mean, all the veterans really are on the defense. I was supposed to kind of carry your team with a young offense. And, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna to continue to hitch our wagon to Joe Barry leading this unit. Um, and then they had some next-gen stats in this article. Baker Mayfield completed 20 of 24 passes against zone coverage for 361 yards and three touchdowns. Mayfield threw a touchdown pass to all four levels of the field for the third time in his career, the most by any QB since 2016. So he had a short, you know, medium, long, and deep touchdowns. Um, so yeah, there's some good analysis there of just how bad the Packers are. And then if that wasn't enough, you know, we got a little, uh, you know, sidebar or, you know, extra helping of some, some crap for you. 
uh, I stumbled on this article as well, uh, where it says um, the Packers are, you know, essentially over the last few years, and, and again, you know, not really a big shock here, leading the league almost in giving up 200 yards rushing um, per game, or in a game, I should say. So just a little tidbit for you here, the, the top few teams, and uh, I forget what he says here, uh, do the Packers give up 200 yards rushing more than any other teams? You know, kind of that, like, it always looks really bad, but is it really bad? So this is from Paul Noonan, uh, Noonan? Uh, December 16th, and um, this is also, oh, this is from Acme Pack, Packing Company, a little different uh, source. But he's got, uh, so how many hustle out in the Barry era? So I think that's where we're going here since 2001 on this. Um, so we're second. We're second in the league. We're tied for second in most 200-yard rushing allowed. Uh, Detroit and the Giants are first with seven times. And Chicago, Green Bay, Chargers, um, and New Orleans are all tied with six. So in the, in the Joe Barry era, we've given up over 200 yards rushing, it looks like, at least six times. And then uh, let's you know not forget there was also the historic performance in 2022 last year when uh, Jordan Love I think that was the first time he got you know or not the first time but he got into the game looked pretty good touched on Washington well partly because uh, Packers had given up 363 yards rushing so that's like I think you know tops as far as grand totals um, in that time stretch so you know that's kind of neat good job Packer defense for. You know, setting those kind of marks, perfect passer ratings. Oh, and if you didn't see this, uh, Tommy Cutlets, Tommy DeVito from the Giants. Uh, he, well, we'll get to some of the recap numbers, but he, he didn't have a very good day against the Saints. So your NFC Offensive Player of the Week, courtesy of Joe Barry and the Packer defense, uh, Tommy DeVito, he went into New Orleans and got sacked like seven times, didn't have an interception, or I'm sorry, didn't have a touchdown, had like a 70 QB rating. You know, so he's setting, you know, historic marks against the Packer defense. And then they go down to play the Saints and, like, they can't do anything. They only had six points. You know, is the Saints roster that much better than the Packers roster? Or is it a scheme thing? Hmm? I don't know. Um, So, yeah, that was uh, kind of fun to see that happen around the league as well. So, you know, just to kind of run this down or, you know, wrap this up a little bit, you know, pretty clear how awful that game was. We'll look at some of the numbers. Um, not that we really want to, I guess, but just to, just to take a peek here, um, trying to think, what was I looking for? Sorry. Yeah, here we go. Uh, if you didn't catch this, so they only, they scored on six out of eight possessions, uh, the Buccaneers, the only time they didn't score was the one time we talked about already, the fumble, uh, that the Packer defense created. So good job there. Um, and that was when it was an exciting moment in the game first quarter before you just kind of kept watching them move it, move it. And then they punted once, but it was like the only time they punted, they even kicked our, our butt on that almost, you know, pun intended there. Um, so let's see, their one punt went 65 yards and managed to put a pin us back inside the five or 10, whatever it was. So, you know, yeah, there was, uh, and then I think second half, there was three, they had like three straight touchdown possessions, you know, when the Packers are trying to get into it. Oh, and back to the defer thing. Speaking of second half, uh, one thing I was kind of, you know, uh, thinking about, and I always, or I like to mention is when you defer and your, your, your big emphasis on that defer choice is to get the ball in the second half, that first possession, you know, I always like to think, well, you know, you better, you better have something kind of good lined up, um, uh, 
for you if, if, if that's, you know, your emphasis. If you're willing to give the other team the ball first, put your defense out there and be at risk of, you know, you know, starting the game losing, like, it's really hard. Like, I don't think the Packers, I don't, I don't know how much, if they had much of a lead ever in that game, um, you know, and that's where I hate the defer. Like, if you're not sure about that defense, what we clearly aren't, uh, take the ball, try to get a lead, play from a lead. That seems like our kind of defense then, right? But what am I? I'm just a, a basic fan in a basement. What do I know? So yeah, let's take a quick look at that all-important uh, opening possession of the second half that, that's so crucial that the Packers want it so bad they're going to give Tampa Bay the ball to start the game. Uh, so Tampa Bay caves off. Uh, first play, Jordan Love incomplete to the right. Second play, Aaron Jones rushed up the middle for three yards. Uh, Tampa calls a timeout, and then Green Bay tried to like hurry up for some reason and then you know, kind of forced Tampa into timeout. So third and seven now. Uh, Jordan Love incomplete pass intended for Jaden Reed. So, yeah, pretty uh, quick three and out there. Um, so not really uh, nailing the defer choice. You let them go down the field on the opening possession and score points. And then when you get your chance to have an opening possession of a half, uh, you go three and out and take up 39 seconds to do so. So there you go. Uh, in case you're not sure, I'm not a fan of deferring uh, when your defense kind of stinks. And so, I mean, coming out of that, I mean, a couple other quick things here. They, they hit the over 41. Um, Buccaneers obviously covered as uh, underdogs, the point spread. And, you know, just a couple other other items to mention here is like, what about Aaron Jones? I mean, what the heck was with that, right? You know, and I heard some comments from Aaron Jones yesterday, and God, I love that guy. I mean, you he, he can tell he's just so diplomatic. He's not going to throw anybody under the bus, but you can also kind of tell he's struggling to answer some of these questions about why weren't you maybe getting more touches later in the game. And, you know, he basically tells, you know, and then I've said this before, the you know, when the Packers were kind of in the, in the depths of their losing streak, it feels like a cautious culture is, is Matt LaFleur just cautious everywhere. Don't, you know, injury prevention, giving guy, you know, keeping guys on the sidelines, pitch counts for everybody. And when they're coming off injuries, you know, compared to back in the day, I think it was McCarthy who said, well, if you're suited up, I assume you can play, you know, like it doesn't have to be rocket science, either you're a goal or, or you're a no. Um, so, uh, just all those things, right? I mean, as much as the defense stinks, just the overall management of this thing right now, um, you know, they're talking about Jair Alexander. Why isn't he playing, you know? And then now they're, they're saying, yeah, they miscalculated the length of his injury when the press is finally starting to say like, okay, it's been like six games. You could have put him on IR and, and, and it's freed up a roster spot, but you've been playing shorthanded this whole time. You know, so Lafleur says that's a miscalculation, and now he's sticking with Barry because he feels like you know that's, you know, to read between the lines, people are saying, well, there's no one else better on his staff, so we'll stick. I mean, what kind of you know reasons are these? You know, to, uh, you you're, you got to make a change sometimes, right? You know, like you, the next game isn't always promised. I guess is what I'm kind of stum stumbling to say. Like, you know, over all these years, you've always heard guys like, you know, every game's precious. You know, these opportunities don't come around, you know, but LaFleur and this staff and this approach seem to, you know, make it sound like, well, we'll get them next year. We'll get them next week. We'll get them next year. You know, there just doesn't seem to be that urgency, you know, that, it, you know, it's a win now league, right? You know, NFL, not for long. And uh, I don't know, Matt LaFleur has been given a lot of latitude because of those, you know, first couple 13 win seasons. And that's fair that, you know, for, for good reason, he had tremendous success. But, you know, it, it sure doesn't seem like this program is ascending 
after, you know, four or five years when he should really be in his prime. Granted, you know, the new quarterback and some of that turnover, of course, Aaron Rodgers, salary cap, there's room for all those things to be considered. But it just, you know, again, I say it a million times, it's just kind of that eyeball test. You know, now you got Devondre Campbell saying he's not going to play through injuries. And a lot of people are like, well, that's because the fans have been ripping on him so much and he's posting on X now. I'm like, is it? Is it because of the fans? I don't know that players would make public statements because of, you know, being ripped on by fans. You know, I think it's, you know, some of the coaching stuff. To me, it, it sounds like the way I read that was when they go watch film, they blame the players, you know, for missing these assignments or not. You know, why or Devondre Campbell not being good enough to cover Chris Godwin. I mean, I sat there watching that whole doggone thing. If he's within five yards, that's one thing. I mean, I it's just so hard to even get it out. It's so frustrating because you'd see Devondre Campbell and or Preston Smith uh, lined up over a Pro Bowl-type wide receiver, Chris Godwin. And then you could just sit there in the stands and be like, okay, Godwin's going to get open to the tune of 10 receptions, 155 yards for Chris Godwin lining up in the slot, and the Packers kept putting linebackers on him. You know, so anyways, you know, to me that feels like a, a little bit of a shot at at the coaching staff when Devondre Campbell says he's not playing through injuries anymore. You know, you do certain things and then you kind of get blamed. You know, I, there's an article. I got all this stuff in the links uh, if you want to read it yourself. But, yeah, things are going crazy. But on the bright side, uh, again, those young pass catchers, Dontavian Wicks, 6 for 97. Tucker Craft, 4 for 57. Jaden Reed, 6 for 52. You know, and then we get to like Romeo Dobbs. I mean, the offense with all its flaws and some of the things I don't always understand, like Aaron Jones having nine touches in the first like five minutes of the game and then finishing with 13 touches or rushes, I should say. Um, And then only one rush for Patrick Taylor. You had Jordan Love two times and then Kenyon Drake with one. I mean, there's really very little or no attempt to establish a running game after that first possession. Uh, so it's not just all defense. I mean, it's a lot of defense problem, of course, and frustration for this Packer fan. Um, you know, but again, is Lafleur the guy? That's kind of leads me to a poll question I'll put out there. Um, you know, this isn't going to be a yawn or no response. We're going to have to be a little trickier here. Um, you know, I was going to say, is it time to fire Joe Barry? I, I got a feeling we'd have a hundred percent results on on that one being a yes. So I, I wanted to get a little more creative. Um, because to me, if you're not going to fire Joe Barry, then you're almost, maybe you're saying all your players suck. So, you know, GM Brian Gutekinds, are you okay with that? Would you agree with that? You know, so my poll is going to be like, who's the most to blame right now? Joe Barry, Matt LaFleur, Brian Gutekinds, however I'm going to try to spell his name. We don't even care right now. Um, you know, honestly, I don't mind the players. I think well, there's talent there. That's my two cents. I think guys like Quay Walker, Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, I think there's some, some, you know, definite potential there. Uh, but, uh, I mean, it's, it's rush four, maybe run a stunt, you know, and then it's drop seven, 30 yards deep. You know, they, they, there is no scheme. It just looks like, you know, the scheme is whether or not they run a stunt and then they just rotate guys in and out. I don't know. It all looks the same for most of the game. You know, one other bright spot, maybe Anders Carlson, two for two, kicking in December at Lambeau. Um you know, the offense was, again, pretty solid, even though they had a few opportunities missed, um, you know, not not going to Jones much. But anyways, I think that, you know, this was a been a pretty long ranting uh, type of, I mean, if you didn't know, I was a little frustrated with that Buccaneer outcome, that result. I mean, a bottom line type of playoff game, playoffs, where you really need to, you know, bring your A game and uh, that Packer defense, whether it's the coaching or whoever's to blame, I mean, they didn't even show up. 
unbelievable, unbelievable at home, at home, and just not even show up like that for a bottom. I mean, you had a great opportunity, Giants, Buccaneers, things are just lining up for you to control this thing. And, uh, you know, that's where, you know, the head coach has really got to look in the mirror and be like, why is my team just, you know, just absolute hard fail right now in a couple of winnable situations. So, uh, you know, we're going to try to spin through a few more things. Let's close the books on that mess. I, I think I got enough of that off my chest. Thank you for indulging me in my Tampa Bay Buccaneer aftermath. You know, I didn't even think about mentioning uh, Elliot hooked me up with the parking again. Thank you, Elliot. Uh, that's been really helpful and fun to see him and talk to him. Saw a couple of former co-workers at Lambeau. I mean, saw a couple of in-laws. I mean, that's what it's like. That's how small town Lambeau is. Uh, just about every time I go to the game, I'll see a few people I know. Uh, because, you know, stadium holds like 80,000 and, you know, there's like 250,000 people in the county. So anyways, uh, enough about that. Uh, a couple of noteworthy items. If we look back at uh, other teams and happenings in the league, the Vikings got beat uh, on a last minute overtime kind of thing by the Bengals. So, you know, again, the Packers missing out on an opportunity uh, to get, you know, uh, some progress on the division opponents. Uh, if you look at that Thursday game, the Vegas Raiders just demolished the Chargers, which resulted in the Chargers firing their head coach. Uh, Raiders were 63-21 to 21 on that one. Uh, Lions had a big win against Denver, so Lions uh, seem pretty well set to win the division now that the Packers stink and the, the Vikings don't have a quarterback. Um, uh, the Bears lost a close one in Cleveland, so the Bears are, are helping out the Packers by making sure we don't trickle down to uh, possible last place in the division. Uh, those Jets that are keeping a draft pick warm for us got beat 30 to nothing uh, by the Dolphins. Uh, J-E-T-S, Jets. Oh, and coincidentally, and you know, I had a hunch about this. You know, I said to a friend a long time ago, and I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast or not, um, you know, Rodgers coming back from an Achilles really just felt like an attempt to stay in the headlines. Well, shocker, uh, after they got smoked again and that offensive line is terrible, Rodgers has said he probably or most likely will not play this year. Uh, will not be cleared and all that. So all that week to week, oh, my God, look at Rodgers. They're showing, like, slow motion clips of him, you know, th literally throwing a ball, you know, uh, which I believe is your arm, not your Achilles. You know, I get it. You got to stand. But, I mean, anyway, so Jets got beat. Uh, Kansas City, uh, those those chefs who I'm not a fan of anymore go in and beat New England. Again, those Giants with Tommy Cutlets got beat 24-6. to um, you know, the Rams won, which isn't great for the Packers playoff chances. Playoffs. Uh, Cowboys got smoked in Buffalo, uh, Carolina, our upcoming opponent, uh, had a real, real barn burner nine to seven beat those Falcons. Remember when the Falcons put up almost 400 yards against the Packers? Well, uh, they got, they, they could only get seven yards against the Panthers. Uh, 49ers continue to look like the best team in the NFL right now. They go ahead and beat Arizona 45, 29. Uh, the Bills, like I said, light up Dallas 31-10. So again, you know, Dallas goes back into that are they pretenders discussion like they do every year where they look so good for most of the games, but I have a few clunkers. Uh, Ravens beat the Jaguars in a pretty big game. And then uh, Seattle upset the Eagles 20-17. to So also not exactly helping the Packers playoff chances uh, to see Seattle win. So yeah, right now Packers are firmly planted at third place in the division 6-8. and eight. Uh, just a game ahead of the Bears, who are five and nine, and a game behind the the Vikings, who are seven and seven. Uh, if we were to look at the playoffs picture right now, uh, Packers are are kind of in that hunt. If I saw, I think they're like the 11th seed. So you know, now that's becoming a long list of teams they'd have to leapfrog. 
Uh, Atlanta has a tiebreaker. New Orleans has a better record. Seattle's at seven and seven. Uh, you know, Philadelphia or Dallas is going to be a lock for that that one wild card. So you basically have two spots available for about six, seven teams right now. Um, and and right now, uh, Minnesota and the Rams would be the two wild card teams. So there you go, Packers. Minnesota not having a quarterback for about half their season, and and rotating quarterbacks is holding it together uh, better better than your program, their coach. And uh, taking a look at our power rankings, uh, gets less exciting every week, I know, so we'll do this one pretty quickly uh, as the Packers, I'm sure, are dropping. So again, Nate Davis, uh, USA Today is the one we've been checking in on. So uh, he continues to have the 49ers at one. The Ravens move up from three to number two. Eagles drop from four to number three. Uh, The Bills go from eight to number four after that big win over Dallas. And then the Chiefs kind of sitting steady at five. Um, the lions have been, you know, right around seven or eight the whole time. So the Cowboys drop from two to seven, and then he's got the lions from seven to eight. Uh, the lions, he says one more win or Vikings lost. The lions can make both those things happen in Minnesota on Sunday means the NFC North flag will fly in Motown for the first time ever. Um, yeah, I don't think they've won the division since it's been the North. They won the central a few times, uh, too bad. The game's not in prime time where Detroit has won five in a row. Uh, so we'll probably have to scroll down a bit to find the rest of the NFC North teams. Um, Mike, uh, Mike, Minnesota Vikings go from 17 to 19. Nick Mullins was oh so close to becoming the fourth Vikes quarterback credited with a win this season. See, there you go. He could have been the fourth quarterback to get him a win. Um, things you can do when your defense is competent. Uh, Packers, 15 down to 22. In retrospect, we all probably got a little too excited about so little experience and so many key injuries. You know, that's fair, Mr. Nate Davis, but uh, most of our experience and uh, stuff like that is on our defensive side that gave up 34 points. Just saying. Uh, And then our Bears are sitting at 24. Dub Bears. Uh, They have 14 takeaways over the past four games. If quarterback Justin Fields can play that well down the stretch, GM Ryan Poles will be just awash in envious options once the offseason starts. Uh, So there's a quick peek at your power rankings. So that'll kind of close the book on last week. A good good chunk of today's program is spent ranting about that Buccaneers game. Uh, But now we got to turn the page because, you know, Uh What day it is. It's hump day. Guess what day it is. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Julie. Anybody? Hey, Julie. Guess what the- yeah, it's hump day. So this is when we start looking around the hump day helmets portion of the show and uh, see looking ahead at uh, week 16, I think we're on already. Holy moly. Um, and uh, we'll start by looking at the Packers. Uh, just spent the whole time ranting about the Buccaneer game. And now let's all be kind of positive and optimistic. I mean, basically everybody's saying if they win out, Packers are 6-8. and eight. Uh, Chances are quite likely, like I saw, thought I saw like 95%, uh, 95% chance that they would... Uh, Make the playoffs. Telling me there's a chance. Yeah, yeah, unreal, right? How ugly they've looked for two weeks, and if they can win these last three games, uh, they would probably be in the playoffs. But at the same time, if they lose any one of these, uh, they're pretty much cooked, I'd say. Um, So, yeah, they're they're going into uh, Carolina, Charlotte, I believe, Bank of America Stadium. This is a nooner on Sunday, uh, Christmas Eve. Uh, Merry Christmas, by the way, to everybody coming up. Didn't even say that. Happy holidays, all the things going on. And uh, so I hope everyone has a fun and safe holiday season. Um, But yeah, Bank of America Stadium Packers are a four and a half point favorite. Over under is 36 and a half. 
Um, I can't even pick the Packers here. <laughs> I mean, every week, who knows, right? Um, Bryce Young has had a pretty fugly season. Um, so, I mean, look for Bryce Young to light up the Packer defense if, if the last two weeks have been any indicator of what quarterbacks can do against his defense. I mean, this is it, right? If, if you lay an egg and you've just said, yeah, we're sticking with Joe Barry the rest of the way. I mean, this is going to be interesting, right, on Sunday. If nothing else, just, just to see, you know, how this team responds. Seems like there's some uh, disgruntledness in the locker room and all that. Um, Bryce Young sitting on nine touchdowns, nine interceptions compared to Jordan Love, 25 TDs, 11 interceptions. Bryce Young only has like 2,300 yards passing. Jordan Love, 3,300. Uh, they do a little better on the ground. Their leading rusher, Chuba Hubbard, 731 yards. He's got four TDs. Ours is still Dylan. Uh, I'm not sure if he'll even be back yet with that broken thumb uh, making it difficult for him. Um, and then our, our leading receiver, of course, rookie Jaden Reed, 592 yards, six TDs. Love Jaden Reed, having a great year. I mean, excited about some of these young players, but until they fix that defense, it's hard to be excited about, you know, the games overall. And then their leading receiver is longtime Minnesota veteran Adam Thielen, uh, who they signed with as a free agent. I don't know if it was this year or last year. Uh, he's got 89 catches, four TDs, 870 total yards. Uh, looking at these teams on paper, you know, we've seen so many teams on paper that kind of even with the Packers and hard to, you know, see where the big advantages or dif differences are. Uh, this one's not quite the case. Uh, Carolina being 2-12 two and ten, two and 12 and, and very much in line for uh, battling for the top pick in the draft if they hadn't traded it to the Bears. Uh, they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, they're, they're 29th in points scored 14.7. So again, interesting to see what they'll do against, uh, Joe Barry's defense. Packers are 18th in points scored, uh, at 21.4, uh, points against per game. Now the Packers have dropped a bit, you know, there was always a little bit like, well, at least they're near the top in points against. Well, now you gave up 34. Uh, they've dropped to 17th in points against per game at 21 and a half for the Packer defense. The Carolina defense is 29th with 24, basically 25 points per game allowed. Total yards per game on the offense, Packers are 18th ranked with 344. Carolina's 30th with 300.9 yards per game. And so, you know, as I say these, to me, these are like kind of like over-unders to keep in mind, you know, how, they, how the Packers hold up against all these averages. Uh, yards against per game, um... Carolina's defense hanging in there. They're third, 291 yards against. So it could be a little tough to move the ball for the Packer offense. Meanwhile, the Packer defense is 23rd in the league, giving up basically 350 yards per game. Passing yards per game, Packers doing much better. 16th in the league, 241 yards per game. Uh, Carolina 29th, with only, they're under 200 yards per game. So there you go. There's an over-under for Bryce Young. Will he go over 200 yards passing? Right now, as a team, they're averaging basically 195 yards passing. Rushing yards against per game. Packers are 30th in the league. Oh, we're getting so close to being last. Keep it up, Joe Barry. FJB, fire Joe Barry. Anyways, uh, 138 yards per game uh, basically given up by the Packers. Let's call it 139 if we're rounding up. And then uh, Carolina defense is 20th at 118 per game. Uh, so they're a little better against the rush than the Packers. And then if we're running the ball, the Packers are worse. They're 103 yards per game on the ground for the offense. Uh, Carolina's a little better at 17th with 106 yards per game. And then sacks, uh, Packers have uh, 34 sacks, which is 22nd in the league. And Carolina has 20 sacks, only 20, which is last in the league. 
interceptions, Packers are, are continuing to drop in the rankings. They're 29th in the league, like I said, only with six interceptions. Carolina a little better at 24th with eight uh, interceptions. And Carolina's last few games, they lost against Dallas. They lost at Tennessee. They lost at Tampa. They lost at New Orleans. And then they got their second win of the season last week or on Sunday there by beating uh, Atlanta 9-7. to So there's a, a quick peek at the Packer game and some of the numbers going into that nooner against Carolina. And a spin through some of the other Week 16 games coming up here on Thursday. You got New Orleans and the Rams, a couple of 7-7 seven and seven teams. So if you got Amazon, you might want to check that one out if you're interested to see what you know playoff picture stuff looks like. New Orleans is a four-point favorite, 46 over under. Uh, and then we get into some more Saturday games. You got Cincinnati, 8-6, and six, doing okay with a backup quarterback against Pittsburgh, who's 7-7, seven and seven, just had a big loss against Indy. So playoff uh, implications there, of course, on Saturday the 23rd. That's a 3-30 game. Uh, Cincinnati's a two-point favorite. That'll be on NBC over under 37. And then your last game on Saturday is Buffalo at the Chargers. 8-6 uh, and six Buffalo going against the Chargers. will be working with their, their new coach for interim coach, whatever. Buffalo's a 12-point favorite over under 44, and that's a 7 p.m. game, game Saturday. Uh, then getting into the Sunday games, a nooner is Indianapolis at Atlanta. So, again, more playoff implications. Indianapolis 8-6. and six. Atlanta's hanging in there at 6-8. and eight. Atlanta's a one-point favorite. I find that interesting. Over under 44-and-a-half nooner on uh, Christmas Eve. Seattle at Tennessee, 7-7 seven and seven Seattle, trying to keep their playoff hopes alive. We need Tennessee to maybe win that one to help the Packers' chances. Two-and-a-half point favorite is the Seahawks, 41-and-a-half over under. That's on CBS Nooner on Christmas Eve. Then Detroit goes into Minnesota, uh, like we heard in the power rankings there. Detroit 10-4 and four going to Minnesota, face 7-7 seven and seven Vikings. Detroit's only a three-and-a-half point favorite. Find that interesting with Vikings having a backup quarterback situation. Over-under, 47. That's also a nooner. Uh, Washington at the Jets. A couple of ugly teams, 4-10, and 5-9. and nine. Uh, Jets are a three-point favorite there somehow. 37 is your over-under. Uh, Packers, 6-8, and eight, clinging to their playoff hopes. Uh, going to face the 2-12 and 12 Panthers like we talked about already. Cleveland going into Houston, 9-5 Cleveland. Houston, 8-6. Cleveland's a 2.5-point favorite. 40 is the over-under there. Uh, it just seems you look around, backup quarterbacks everywhere. Cleveland, I think, is on a backup due to injuries, too. Uh, yeah, Joe Flacco, that's right. Uh, Jacksonville, 8-6, and six, going into those uh, Wiley Buccaneers. Uh, Baker Mayfield setting all kinds of marks. He's uh, NFC Player of the Week, by the way, if you didn't know that. So back-to-back weeks, we've got Tommy DeVito and Baker Mayfield winning awards against the Packer defense. So we'll see what they do against Jacksonville. A couple of Florida teams facing off. Tampa Bay's a one-point favorite. 42.5 is the over-under. That's a 3 p.m. game, 3.05. Arizona. And Chicago Dub Bears. So maybe the Bears will get their sixth win. Packers better watch out or they'll be tied with the Bears. Uh, Arizona 3-11 going to Chicago. Chicago's a four-point favorite. They've been playing better uh, since since they've made some changes. 43.5 is the over-under there. That's 325, so we might be able to watch that one here locally. Uh, Dallas going to Miami. That's a big matchup of 10-4 and four teams. That's also a 325 game on Fox, so maybe we won't see the Bear game. Uh, Miami's a one-and-a-half-point favorite. Over-under is 50 on that one. And then New England uh, goes into Denver, 3-11 and New England, going to 7-7 seven and seven Denver. So it looks like Denver will keep their playoff hopes alive, maybe move to 8-8. Eight and eight. Denver's six-and-a-half-point six favorite. 34-and-a-half is the over-under. That's your Sunday nighter. Uh, and then we'll get into a few games on Monday because of the holiday there, Christmas Day games. You've got uh, Vegas going to Kansas City. 
Six and eight Raiders, nine and five Chiefs. Chiefs are a 10 point favorite. 41 and a half is the over under. That's a nooner on Monday. Uh, New York Giants, five and nine going against the Eagles, 10 and four. You could probably get a glimpse of Tommy Cutlets if you want to see him again against the Eagles defense. Uh, 12 point favorite for the Eagles. So that's two double digit point spreads on Christmas Day so far. And then your last game, though, of the week uh, should be a good one, hopefully. Baltimore, 11 and three. San Francisco, 11 and three. Uh, San Francisco, that one's in San Fran or Santa Clara, wherever the heck they play. Four and a half point favorite for the Niners, over under 47, and that's your finale on Christmas Day. And those games are on all three networks. Uh, Nooners, CBS, your second game on Christmas Day is Fox, and then your your finale is on ABC. Uh, so that's a little look at what's going on in the league uh, this coming weekend. And then we'll uh, go ahead and uh, wind it down here with our... Uh, basketball jones and just take a quick peek at what's going on with the basket yeah basketball jones uh the the bas- some of the basketball programs here in the state uh and we'll start with our uh, wisconsin badgers uh right now the badgers are sitting at a record of uh eight and three still one and oh in the big 10 they haven't had uh, too many uh, any more big 10 games since that win at michigan state and they've been on a bit of a break they won at chicago state it looks like um Oh, shoot, they didn't play. They won at, I'm sorry, they, they beat Jacksonville State. Their next game, I'm sorry, is Chicago State, if this guy could read a calendar. So they beat Jacksonville State 75-60 to 60 last week after uh, we had our hump day session. They played on Thursday, and then they've had a pretty good break here. They'll play on Friday. Uh, this will be on Big Ten Network if you want to see it. Chicago State, Badgers are ranked 24th, uh, so good job, Badgers, kind of hanging around the rankings there. That's Friday on the 22nd at 7 p.m. Cheesehead Standard Time. Uh, the Badgers' last few games, again, they uh, they beat Western Illinois, they beat Marquette, they beat Michigan State, then they lost to number one ranked at the time, Arizona, and then a win against Jacksonville State. And then their last game of 2023 uh, will be against Chicago State, again, on Big Ten Network Saturday, um, Friday. I'm sorry, Friday at 7 p.m. And then the uh, Marquette Golden Eagles, uh, they're hanging around. They're still ranked uh, top 10. They're ranked 6th. They're 9-3. and three. Their next game is Friday also, uh, the 22nd, 6 p.m., She's had standard time uh, going against Georgetown, who's seven and five. That'll be on FS1. Uh, looks like Marquette lost last night against Providence. So maybe when we get the next round of rankings, uh, who knows if they'll still be sixth because they got beat pretty good, 72 to 57 by Providence. Um, that was their first uh, conference game. So they're 0-1 in the conference, 9-3 and overall. Uh, as a reminder, their last few games, they lost to Wisconsin. Then they beat Texas, beat Notre Dame, beat St. Thomas. Uh, and then the loss at Providence. And then uh, they'll have one more game in 2023 than the Badgers. Uh, they'll have Georgetown here, like I said, Friday. And then on the 30th, they'll have a game against Creighton. And that'll be on CBS. Uh, so look forward to that. And then last but certainly not least, a little check-in on the Bucks and how they've been doing since, uh, you know, we know they got uh, bounced from the in-season tournament, so to speak, uh, against the Pacers. Then they went on to, to pay the, uh, excuse me, play the Pacers again and it got a, a little testy so uh last hump day where we left off I was looking forward to watching them play the Pacers and the Bucks went on uh I don't know if I actually could watch that one um they went on to win that game so they they won at uh versus Chicago they beat Indiana uh their last few games here they've beaten Detroit they beat Houston they beat San Antonio so they're on a bit of a streak here um uh, but if you didn't see it well let me give you the standings here right now the Bucks are f- First, they're, they're stretching out a lead here in the Central. They got a five-game lead in the Central. They, their record is 20-7. and seven. Uh, Their last game, they beat San Antonio, like I said, 132-119. to 119. And then now coming up on Thursday, tomorrow, 7 p.m., 
uh, Cheesehead Time. They'll have the Orlando Magic, who are 16 and 9. So that looks to be a, a decent matchup there of winning programs. And then on Saturday, they're going to play the Knicks at, at the Knicks. Um, and then before we get together again next hump day, uh, looks like they'll have a second game against the Knicks on, on Monday and that'll be on ESPN. So the, the Bucks have a little, little busier calendar than their college counterparts here in the state. Uh, so you can look at the Bucks. And then if you didn't see it, Giannis had like a career high 64 points, uh, the, that when they did get that, that kind of payback win against the Pacers, they didn't really hold back. It was 140 to 126 after the Pacers, uh, you know, there's a little bit of jaw jacking and, and trash talking with these teams back and forth. A little bit of a rivalry, first and second place teams in, or at the time anyways in the division. So Giannis goes off for like 64 and then somehow there's some co- confusion, drama, whatever you want to call it. I'm just going to say Giannis had his own basketball Jones, okay? Because <laughs> he, uh, if you didn't see it. He, uh, he was supposed to get the game ball because of his career highest scoring. And when they went to track it down, like uh, Indiana equipment guy had taken it to their locker room or something. And their kind of, you know, wise guy BS story was because their rookie scored his first points, you know, like, well, and then there was, I don't know, a long story long. I'll have a link for you in the, in the summary there if you're interested to, to see what happened. Giannis went chasing down the Pacers locker room, you know, hallway or whatever. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a dramatic thing last last Tuesday, I believe it was, or last Wednesday maybe when they played Indiana, and you know here we are a week later. So I guess it's kind of like old news. Uh, but I wanted to mention, hey, good on Giannis. Uh, we don't. I guess we could give out one try award here. You know, Giannis never really needs to redeem himself, but that's our try award for today. Uh, we'll give one to Giannis for a career high last week. And uh, with that, I want to thank everybody for listening, and I appreciate uh, if you've hung out with me this long with a long rant about that Packers and Buccaneers debacle. Uh, again, reminder, coming up Saturday, we'll have an extra installment here of My Cheesehead Life, a Packer fan podcast, where I'm going to talk to my friends Eric and Philippe. Uh, Philippe will be joining us from overseas in France, and we'll talk a bit about our uh, holiday traditions and some differences we might see across the ocean. And then uh, we'll talk some cover songs. So again, if you've hung out with me this long, remember it's... Uh, MyCheeseHeadLife.com. You can email the show if you've got some cover songs you'd like us to mention. Info at MyCheeseHeadLife.com. Thanks once again for listening. Remember to like and follow and share with friends, family, and enemies. Have yourself a great rest of the week.